I've entitled this fifth in the series looking at this great prostitute. I've entitled it The Language of Babylon. And I've done so for a very good reason. I want to demystify how the harlot maintains an hegemony over the people groups. How it continues to vaunt itself up and look like it is all important, as it were puffed up like a frog. And it's in the language it uses. Why do you suppose that historic church groups have insisted for a long time in speaking a dead language? Latin. Why do you suppose they crouch biblical inquiries in these impossible to pronounce words? Would you ever see Jesus doing that in his sermons? Like his Sermon on the Mount. Can you hear Jesus engaging a, uh, engaging a discussion about theological, um, convoluted theological things? Would Jesus, for example, explain his return by using language like uh, the imminence of the eschaton? Eschatology is the doctrine of last things. Would you hear Jesus referring to anything that way? In, in the discussions about Christ, the, the church, the harlot church, has engaged ponderous terms. To quote a, a line from uh, an elegy written in a, no, no, the Auburn, uh, uh, one of the poems of, um, an English poem uh, about the Industrial Revolution uh, it begins, Under the spreading chestnut tree, the village smithy stands, and talks about the, how the, the, the blacksmith's shop in the open air under the spreading chestnut tree was the center of all kinds of interchange or exchanges. And... Um, the discussion was about uh, an intellectual and a priest. And the line that sticks with me is, where words of learned length and thundering sound amazed the gazing rustics ranged around. In other words, these two were using words of, quote, learned length and thundering sounds. 
and the uneducated village people were amazed, amazed the gazing rustics ranged around. The intent, these things were intentionally conflated, or rather intentionally hyperinflated, to make the, uh, the average folk believe that they could never reach God. In the, Middle Age, in the Middle Ages, these words of learned length and thundering sounds were often spoken in cathedrals, the architecture of which was designed to minimize the human presence within the structure, intentionally so. And as they developed more sophistication, they would strain the sunlight through stained glass windows to make things, to make the interior of the church building look like it was what you would envision the, the location of the throne of God. These were just deceptive, intentionally deceptive things to, to further and to maintain the, div the division between the people and God and to consolidate power in the group that called itself the clergy, meaning from the word clerou which we talked about earlier, which meant you have an inheritance from God, which is the basic truth of being a son of God. But they as thieves and robbers do, they gathered it up all to themselves. And the laity were named so to indicate that they had no inheritance from God, but would only have the crumbs that fall from the tables of the clergy. So they discussed Christ in terms like monophysitism, Monoenergism. Monotheletism, theletism, from the word thelema, which means will. So they talked about whether Christ was God or man. Earlier versions of that would be whether a holy God could ever dwell in a corrupt vessel. They created tensions where there were no tensions. And they did so in part to try to explain things that would be explained by the revelation of the Scriptures, but they forged ahead, absent the revelation of the Holy Spirit, to employ reason to bridge the gap. So was Jesus of the one substance of God or was He God and man? Anyone who had the revelation of the body of Christ being comprised of human bodies and spirits that had been elevated 
from the dead by the Spirit of God and energized with the life of God would know the answer. But, but, in the framing of these discussions to support institutional paradigms, which is what the harlot clothed herself with as she approached kings, with offices that had biblical sounding names but empty of any content that was divinely inspired, divinely understood, or divinely uh, practiced. She was able to create this entire illusion based on the usage of words of learned length and thundering sound, which by the Spirit of God are easily understood, creating doctrines like Trinity, attempting to bifurcate the one God into three persons rather than the one God in His various manifestations, to teach us about Father and Son. They they define God in ways that closed up the book again and made that which was timely to be revealed, they reclothed it in mysteries. When God always intended the children's bread would be the revelation of the nature of God. You think God was going to make it so difficult as to that which make it that which would be captured by words of learned length and thundering sound? No, 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 no. That's the paint on the face of a harlot. That's the garb the harlot wears to give you the impression that she is something special, when in truth she's just a common opportunist with a heart that has never been given to anybody else, a calculating, hard-edged entity that looked for the profit in every transaction. not a nice person, no one you'd want to put a trust, your trust in or your confidence in. Why do you think that the church has so routinely betrayed those who put their trust in it? Why do you think this harlot is unable to deliver love and caring? Because it is not in the nature of a harlot. She can't do it. She cares about herself. Why, why does any office that it doles out to somebody who wants to be important and looks to the church and an office in the church, a deacon, to be important? Why does it always come with greater and greater commitment to the institution? 
like the proverbial tar baby. You can't escape it. If it gives you something and you accept it, the price of that is your loyalty, your undying loyalty. So much so that if even members of your own family disagree with you and disagree with this entity, you're taught that your duty is to cut them off, to cut them off, have nothing to do with them, for merely asking for discussion. It's why you're routinely coached to keep your eye on whoever questions the blatant attempts at hegemony that that the harlot church makes to dominate people and their groups. The use of the kings and their penal systems, their judicial systems to charge, to try, to convict, to sentence and to punish up to and including the punishment of death. People who were searching for God in the labyrinthine folds of church doctrine, church polity. Why is it that the people are always made to feel when they ask questions, legitimate questions, that they are being heretical, they're being rebellious, they're being non-conformist, they don't belong, they're to be excluded and so on. Why is that so? Does any of this comport with the spirit of a father raising sons to maturity where it is a given that you explain the mysteries to your children as early as they can hear it and you keep explaining the mysteries as they grow up so that they grow from ignorance and failure to understand to fully understanding and then beyond that to employ and to practice the truths they have learned. Listen to Paul on the subject. The things you have learned from me among many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. When have you ever heard the term monophysitism? Monophysitism. Why can't you just say, is God, uh, is Christ God or man or both? Why can't you just say that? Monophysitism. Because this monophysitism is the coquettish, it's the coquettish flirtation of a prostitute. Monoenergism. Why can't you say, is it his power that accomplishes, or is it is there human power that accomplishes the will of God? 
Or is there the power of God that accomplishes the power, the things of God in the believer? Monotheletism, from the word tolemos, which is will. Do we have two wills? Do we have the human will? Do we have the will of God? If you've got a soul, you've got a human will. If you've got a spirit, you've got the will of God. Two centers of being, the soul and the spirit. In the, un- in the unredeemed, the soul rules. In the redeemed, the spirit begins to assert, to reassert control over the soul. The process of the saving of the soul is the reassertion of the will of the spirit over the soul. Now, is that difficult to understand? No, it's not. Not unless you assume people are intrinsically stupid. Monotheletism. That makes you sound important if you you can say that. And if you are the arbiters of what that means, then the businessmen will support you. The kings will support you because you have the secret codes. And this has been the game since the prostitute divided from the bride in the wilderness. The wilderness, in the wilderness, she sits on many waters. So that's not your ordinary wilderness, is it? Sits on many peoples. In other words, she dominates many peoples. She cannot just do that and be a girl about town. She has to appear exclusive. She has to appear to be rarefied. She has to be more than arm candy. If you're associated with her, then you get to feel like you're something special. So it appeals to the weaknesses of insecure people who feel the need to be validated by an association with a lie, with a lying spirit, who in truth, being derived from the father of lies, is simply garbed in an attractive appearance, attractive to the soul, to disguise the true intent to kill you, to separate you from Christ, which is the state of death. Great sounding words, powerful sounding things. Sounds like you're learned, like you know. I am not against education but I'm against the pretense and the pretended use of education to gain advantage over people. I work tirelessly to demythologize Scripture, to reveal Scripture, because the intent of God 
is to be known. To be known as he is. If you can believe Christ, this is what he said. I have come, Christ said, to show you the Father. How is he going to show us the Father, do you think? He's going to reveal the Father plainly. Look at some of the ways he revealed certain things. He revealed his body and his blood sacrificially. How? By taking elements on a table, common to a Middle Eastern table in his day, bread and wine. He didn't create some esoteric, he could, he could have reintroduced manna. That would have been a little more consistent with a body from heaven. No, but he took leftovers on the table. Why? Because he does not wish to establish any barrier to our understanding of him. And more to the point, he has no desire to create enmity between God and man in man's understanding of God. That's why. That's why. That's why when he was resurrected from the dead, he said, touch me, handle me, because he came to show us the Father, not to recreate these labyrinthine barriers that we inevitably and have no choice but being lost in if we intend to pursue God. And again, the understanding is not ordinary, but you do have a spirit and the Holy Spirit has been given to dwell in your spirit to verify the truth when you hear it. So whereas we don't dumb things down so as to be inaccurate, we don't inflate things so as to be obscure. Now let's go back and read some more. This woman This woman, the one we finally see, the one who appears in her final deportment, all of her wickedness has now, like the cup she holds, full, it's full. How does she present herself? Before in history, she might have presented herself as benign, might have, might have presented herself as friendly, so that if you are the member of a certain race of people and she had co-opted that race and made herself the church of that race of people, she might have appeared friendly, she might have appeared to be benign, she might have appeared to be supportive, she might have even appeared to be uplifting, ennobling. But no, when she's shown finally, 
here is how she is. First, she makes, she sits on many waters, so her position is one of superiority to the nations. She doesn't take the low seat at the feast. She wants the highest seat at the feast. She sits on many waters. The nations are under her, co-opted by her. And so are the kings. She commits fornication with the kings and with the inhabitants of the earth. She dulled their senses because they were pulled, they were lured by their lust for what she offered. Insecure people greatly desire affirmation and confirmation and she offers that to insecure people. She's not giving them anything of value, they're still insecure. In fact, they're more insecure now because they're nothing without her. She's taken over in the place of their insecurities and calls the shots, drunk with the wine of her fornication. They stumble around, poisoned, as it were, by her, unsteady on their feet. She takes what little they had in making them subject to her. Now she's clothed with finery and she sits in a place that would suggest she has unimpeachable relevance and power. She sits on the beast. She makes herself indispensable even to this global kingdom as it oppresses the saints uh, and as it crushes and tramples down the whole earth. So, do you not understand that she is part and parcel and perhaps the most significant element of the oppression of nations? Indistinguishable from the cannibalization of the hope of nations. Not a pretty picture for a woman who once carried the seed of God, but choice remained her obligation and what appealed to her and caused her to separate herself from that portion of what she was amongst was the potential of personal gain, personal relevance, personal enrichment, personal wealth, personal mystery. That's why she's a mystery. But she is the mother of everything that betrays everything that is false, everything that appears to be one way and is another, everything abominable, everything seductive, everything poisonous, everything wicked. There is no room in the hearts of the believers for charitable review of that which drinks the blood of the saints. 
I will pause there for now, we'll continue on and we'll continue to describe the harlot as she presides over the destruction of kings and is ultimately herself inevitably destroyed. And I say inevitable because there is a just God and His justice will visit the thing that has been such an obstacle to humanity knowing God. And Sam Solon will continue our discussion at another time. Blessings. Bye-bye.